Yes, ladies and gentlemen, thank you once again for joining us here on INC Live for the UFC 286 preview show. My name is Carl Birmage, and I am joined by the man on the right-hand side of my screen. He is the penfold to my danger mouse. It's Joe Neal. Joe, thank you very much for joining us. Glad to be here. Glad to be the Nick or Matt Jackson you pick to your other young buck for my continuation of wrestling tag teams. I think I'll take Nick. Oh, there, he's he's the... He's the high flyer. He's the awesome one. They're both great, but they're great. Yep, that's why I chose them. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And a big thank you to everybody who is tuning in. Either it's a, somebody who's returning from uh, two weeks ago from UFC 285 or someone joining us for the first time. We do this uh, every month when it comes to the UFC preview shows, covering all of the main fights on the card, as well as some of the uh, prelims as well. And I have to say, Joe, um, I'm seeing you a lot sooner than I expected it to. It is our second uh, UFC pay-per-view, which is taking place in three weeks. And this one's taking place over on our end. So if you know your football chances, it's coming. Fighting's coming home. Oh, yeah. It's uh, it's 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 pretty hype for, for me, too. Uh, obviously, I, I, live in the, I live in the States. But uh, next next Sunday, so like literally as soon as the fights end, is my one-year anniversary with the channel, and I started on a UK card. It comes full circle. It know? does. Uh, Fight Night London, which was probably one of the uh, best Aspinall Fight Volkov. Nights of all time. Aspinall versus Volkov. Oh, yeah. I uh, I work overnight, so I remember being really nervous, and uh, I had just asked you, like I think a couple days prior, uh, about joining the team, and uh, I woke up for work, and I'm like about to get logged in. I go, okay, I wonder how the card is. I forgot it started in the middle of the day, and I have a message from you going, are you watching this? This is insane. So I had to like catch up really quick. Just And by the time I skipped all the commercials, I had like just made it on the main event, I think. So this is our first British pay-per-view to take place into UFC 204, which was Michael Bisping versus Dan Henderson, October 2016. Mm -hmm. um, we sort of touched on this when we covered the Australian card a few months ago, which was UFC 284. Now, obviously, the UFC, they usually try and cater towards the local fans when it comes to some of the matchmaking. Do you think that approach makes these cards feel special enough? Because obviously, first time in seven or eight years that we're going to the UK. And yet, I look at the undercard. Obviously, we've got a big main event that a lot of people are excited about. Core main, I think, could be amazing. Outside of that, this, this just feels like Fight Night London with a title fight. Yeah, I think the outside of the top two cards, I think you can definitely do it. I think the the opener for the uh, for the card could definitely have been like a co-main or not even a co-main actually. Uh, Vittori's got some name value, so he could have been a main event of like a of a fight night London card. But I, that's something I've always noticed uh, on the Brazil cards because you know we were going to Brazil for years and years and years, just like five, six, seven times a year, and uh, basically back when Vitor Belfort fought, every one of his cards was in Brazil. Because they wouldn't test him, and uh, and <laughs> yeah, uh, so but like all like the undercards were always like random, like you know not, nothing against this, like but Brazilian fighter number eighty eight versus uh, a zero and four guy in the UFC, just to kind of get the crowd going because crowds like you you want to kind of cater to your hometown crowd, and uh, you know so you you kind of want to sometimes they'll they'll put not the best make matchmaking in order to give the local guy, or at least the closest thing to a local guy, uh, some love. Um, 
But I think this one actually, for the most part, outside of like one or two matchups, uh, it seems like the matchmaking's pretty pretty balanced. I, I always feel like whenever we go to Brazil, and it's a little lopsided in one or the other end. Uh, and here, seems like a really good little balance. What do you mean, Joel? Priscilla Cachoeva versus Hannah Goldie. Oh, daddy, yeah, there you go. Hannah Goldie, who, uh, she reminds me of um, the, the wrestler, I think Jordan Grace in Impact. I can see where you're coming you know, from there. Yeah, yeah, she's, because she's ripped, you know, makes me go, oh man, that's right, I used to, I, before I was fat, I was a skinny guy. I'm like, oh man, real emasculating for me, you know, <laughs> but uh, what's it called? Uh, yeah, that's stuff like that, and then, uh, you know, Mikhaev does have a fight fighting a guy who doesn't have a uh, Wikipedia page, so for undefeated prospect, that's always a good sign. <laughs> and we'll discuss those prelims in a lot more detail. As mentioned before, we've got a couple of uh, local fighters on there. One thing I will say, mm -hmm. though, is even though the prelims are very British-centric, as you come to expect, it's mm -hmm. not the normal names you come to associate. Because there used to be a time when like, Danny Roberts would be on every single British prelim and you would have uh, Darren Stewart there. And what was the name of Darren Till's teammate? Like, bald Live Wrestling. Um... Oh, my brain went to Darren Stewart, but it's not him. It's uh, Grundy. Darren Till did have a team. Grundy. Yes. He yeah. would be on all the time as well. And yet mm -hmm. this time we're seeing some fresh names coming to the fore. Like you've got Lerone Murphy on there. Chris Duncan, who had an epic win on the Contender Series, which I recommend people oh. check out. Um, as you mentioned before, Makayev's on there as well. So we're starting to see a new breed of British fighter, which is coming to the fore. It's it's pretty nice. Uh, I I actually like Jai Herbert, who's also on this card. I so think uh, underrated. Yeah, he's when he's on offense, it is the time of my life. You know, like that guy is so much fun. His his fight with um, Ilya Teporia is unbelievable. Actually, like uh, obviously it doesn't go the way he was hoping for, but who cares? Like that fight is fantastic. And you think about all of the hype that Tapuri has been getting, the guy who caused him mm -hmm. the most trouble was Jai Herbert. Yeah. Like, and that's that, that's a big feather in the cap. And I feel like what sucks about it, too, is sometimes the biggest event around you, uh, even if even if you really didn't have anything to do with it, is all people remember you for. So sadly, when I talk about Jai Herbert sometimes to friends, they go, isn't that the guy that got Dan Hardy fired? Technically, in the, in the sense, yeah, like that's you know, that whole whole uh, issue with Herb Dean stoppage and the Trinaldo fight. But that fight's also really good before the stoppage too. So, you know, I mean, Jai Herbert is awesome. He's, and he's also in a division that rarely misses when it comes to entertainment. So, you know. What other fights have uh, taken you interest on the prelims? Uh, obviously, the Mikhaev, uh, I think it's, I, I, I'm putting this here because I want to say, uh, avoid this fight potentially. Um, it's probably gonna be if you're looking for just to be entertained, probably don't watch it. Uh, I'm gonna watch it because you know it's part of the job, but uh, you don't have to. But because what, what sucks about it is he was his debut was like a year ago. I, I covered his debut on the channel, and it was impressive and exciting. And then every fight after that, I think he's thrown three strikes total. Um, so yeah, there's that. But the other one I really kind of like is uh, Jack Shore versus uh. Maquan Amerikani. I always say his name wrong. I hope I got it right. But uh, I think Jack Shore has a decent upside, and he's really solid. Uh, and he, the guy who took his zero is Ricky Simone, who I think is super underrated. That's 
a dude who is ripe for a boy stable. But um, I think Emirconi's also like he had a lot of hype kind of coming up when he first came in. He had the the seven second knockout over Andy Ogle, I believe it was. Um, I think it was like a flying knee just out of the gate and ground and pound. But uh, he's also pretty exciting. He he likes to he's more of a, a, a grappler. He wants to kind of just ground you out and try to see what he can get going. He does gas out, but I think that fight could be really good. And once again, it's in featherweight, which rarely misses on the entertainment value. And Jack Shaw's debut is a featherweight as well. Oh, it is? Yeah, that's right. He's a lightweight normally, isn't he? Uh, no, he's, uh, he's moved up from bantamweight. Er- like, he was incredibly lanky for that weight class. So I uh- remember now. Yeah. That's awesome. That's a, this, that's going to be a good fight, too. I One think. thing I love about Amir Khani as well is his nickname's Mr. Finland and always makes me think of Ludwig Borger. That's fair. Yeah. When I, uh, One thing I remember from Amir Khani is he had, like, the really weird, like, post-fight interview, I think, after his debut. And one guy was like, how do you how do you looking to improve on that for your next fight? And he just goes, it was a seven second finish. Like, what do you want me to do? Like, well, hold on. Like, am I supposed to knock him out before the fight starts? And like, he just kind of was like pretty chill about it. And then someone was like, are you aware that you're viral before this fight? And he's like, uh, yeah, I, I know. I'm sadly aware. And then they talked about how like on Instagram, he just decided to be a clown and eat an apple like in like on camera and put it on Instagram. And I guess women were just thirsting over it like crazy because he was like a really good looking guy. And him just eating an apple, just sitting there relaxing, just had, I guess, women over Europe fawning over him, just falling in love. Um, but this should be a good fight, though. It should be. One I'm quite interested by, I don't think it's going to be the most entertaining fight in the world, but mm. I am intrigued by Casey no- O'Neill coming back. So it's going to be a first fight in just over a year. Unbeaten uh, flyweight fighter, and of course flyweight, it's going to be an interesting time for that weight class now. Um... There's a lot of people who raised eyebrows at seeing this fight so far down the card, especially when you consider another women's flyweight fight is part of the main card. Where do you personally stand on that? I think you have the best theory on that. I never, I, I considered it, but I thought, oh, it's more of like a name value thing. Um, and I'll let you say it. I don't want to steal your thunder because uh, that's your theory. And it was that that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, but I do think this fight, when it comes to like immediate title impact has the most um i think uh with casey o'neill it it is a little odd for sure and it definitely kind of caught my eye i mistakenly was like oh i know casey o'neill's ranked but i guess jennifer maya is and that's why it's on the undercard that's weird and then i you know in research i was like oh wait that's really weird then hmm and uh i think but i think this fight could be good because jennifer maya kind of an ups and downs of late it seems like um, the Caitlin Chukagian loss, uh, but she did ha- give Valentina, former champion, uh, a good run. Um, and uh, I-, I think right now with like flyweight, flyweight's looking really good, you know. So I'm pretty, I'm kind of hoping Casey O'Neill is another name we can add to the Aaron Blanchfields, Talia Santos, Manon Faro, and of course the champ Alexa Grasso with this new blood coming in there. You're going to bring up Grasso being champion so much on this show, aren't you? They I, see that big oh, yeah. smile on your face. I, I was... I was I was praying for her downfall, they say, you know, and I I got it. Uh, and uh, I was uh, I one of the one of the hypest moments uh, of seeing someone win because I, I didn't think she could do it, and I, I openly said I don't think my girl's gonna do it. But I got to graduate someone from the boys' stable or in gal stable, and uh, what a wonderful experience that was. 
I, I really hope you get to do it this year with Rocky. That's fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Uh, before we sort of go nostalgic about our stables, we're going to be moving on to fight number one. And opening up the main card, we have in the middleweight division and Marvin Vittori, the number four seed. He's going to try to retain his place in the top five. And to do so, he needs to beat one of the informed guys in this weight class, Roman Delice, who is currently number eight. Bookmakers for this one have Vittori at a minus 275 favorite. Delice, you can get a plus 220. A uh, bit of an overlooked match, this one. It is opening up the main card and it's two fighters in the top 10 who traditionally have some quite entertaining matchups i will say though looking at this fight am i the only one who thinks middleweight is in a bit of a low period because i was comparing this weight class now to how it was back in sort of 2013 2015 and the names you had there anderson weidman vitor jacove um bisping obviously musasi all-time good musasi the Rockhold as well. Uh, you had so many yeah. good names in the middleweight division, and it feels like we're really struggling right now. Oh, there were so many. Yeah. It, th- back then, that was like, I think it was up until, oh, I think it was when Jacare lost to Kelvin Gastelum. I'm blaming Kelvin Gastelum for this, um, for the record. Uh, but I think it was when Jacare lost to Kelvin Gastelum. Uh, after that, it felt like the division just kind of went kind of down um i know some people have blamed gsp bisping and the bisping reign as a whole for the division kind of slowing down like a lot of people left you know uh, a lot of people aged out because of that period you know but then yoel's best period to win a belt was in there which i disagree with but um you know musasi left over that kind of all that stuff uh and he was super hot you know coming into that he could have definitely got a title shot for sure um and then after, but after the GSP stuff, uh, it's Whitaker and Yoel, and then eventually Adesanya, and then that was it. And then it was, uh, even though Gaslam had a really good couple fights in there for a while, but then right now it feels like it's Whitaker, uh, Izzy, Pajeda. That that kind of feels like that's it for this division, and that sucks. I hate saying that because, uh, but it just seems like if unless you're one of those three guys, like you're not beating any of those three. It, it just kind of seems like that. And Vittori is probably the prime example of that. It seems like he can beat anybody that isn't named Whitaker or Adesanya right now. And even Pereira's place in that top three is questionable, given how style dependent his own success is. Like yeah. You put him against any wrestler, if, I think he's going to struggle. What if, like, yeah, what if they give him Bo Nickel randomly or something, you know? It's like, oh, okay. Uh, if Bo Nickel doesn't need you low, he's even then he's probably still throwing you to the ground. And that, that kind of makes you wonder, you know. Um, yeah, it's it's a weird one. Middleweight's in a weird position for sure right now. So we'll talk about Marvin Vittori, 18 and six record. He's also got the one draw in there. Now his last fight was a loss to Robert Whitaker, which came with Fight Night Paris in September. A uh, couple of notable wins there: Paulo Costa, which was a bizarre build-up. That was when Costa was uh, coming in like ridiculously overweight, asked for it to be a light heavyweight fight. Jack Manson, Kevin Holland, over two big names. Um, and his mm. only losses since 2017 have come to Adesanya and Robert Whittaker. So we've got a guy mm. which, as you mentioned before, he does have a lot of skills. He's certainly capable to be in the top five. But that sort of extra something is lacking to make it as a champion. Yeah, 
I, I think he needs power or a better double leg or like maybe a little bit of both um, because he does seem to touch you. Like he's always touching somebody, but it seems like he has a little bit of pillow hands in there. Um, and uh, he is good at getting a takedown, but it isn't like the quick like snap gets you down. It's more of a like he's going to work for it, work for it, work for it. He spent three minutes looking to get it, but now he's got it. And now he's on top, and then now now he's gonna you know win the rest of the round. Um, but that being said, like I know that sounds like I'm like really ragging on him. No, he's got some great wins, and uh, if you're not looking at any of those top three guys, he is absolutely like a contender for the number four best guy in that division. I've heard someone describe Marvin Vittori as a perfect mix of sloppiness and elegance, and I think that sums him up so perfectly. I I have my friends have said that if he had any power he could be the Homer Simpson of MMA like because that Costa fight and the Whitaker fight showed off that he has a superstar chin like if he just had that like all right they're tired uh, like Deidre's Tatum fight for Homer uh, I think it could have uh, definitely could have pulled it off on those but uh, he yeah the sloppy and elegant it makes perfect sense um like as long as he, he he doesn't put his shorts on correctly sometimes, and you know we we talked about it before, but this is the most like if you're an OSW fan, Marvin Vittori is the most boy guy of all time. Like out get, step out of the octagon and into my stable, Marvin Vittori, because he's really embarrassing but awesome at the same time. Like he is, I, I actually I like Vittori. Every time I go, I don't know if I like Vittori. Then I like I watch a bunch of his fights and I go, Nah, this guy's awesome. He's so much fun. He's a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, he's a blast and a half. He, he had he had a boring Adesanya match, but who hasn't had one? You know, I think Whitaker's the only one who hasn't had one. Uh, and Pajeda, actually, Pajeda, uh, you know, all all three of those fights are pretty good. Am I the only one who thinks he actually did a lot better against Adesanya than people make it out? I think a lot of people sort of frame it as like, oh, it was 50-45, it was never close. Vitorbi had moments. I'm not suggesting that Vitorbi won the fight by any means, but people sort of paid that fight as sort of like a one-sided demolition when it's sort of, it's so, in some ways it's sort of comparison to Max Holloway and Frankie Edgar, where you sort of look at yeah. the scorecards and you think, oh, Max just dominated that fight. Tale. Yeah, the scorecards don't tell the whole tale, you know? Yeah. Uh, if, if someone wins five close rounds, it's still a 50-45, you know? I mean, didn't he get um, Adesanya's back at one point? He did, I think, in the clinch. Uh, so I was trying not to laugh there when you brought that up, not because of the your statements, but because of my embarrassment. Uh, I remember watching that fight, and me and my best friend talk about that fight every once in a while out of shame because we were both sober. I haven't really drank anything since, like, 2020 i think it was like the last time i like kind of indulged in in alcohol um and so we were both sober you know and we both were like what is the commentary talking about what is what is twitter talking about am i taking crazy pills this is a clear four rounds to one vittori win and i deleted i think all those tweets uh because i watched it the next day and i have never been more embarrassed i think there was a gas leak in my house um or something it was the most embarrassing like fight night reaction things so now i've learned to uh to tweet it's okay to tweet during a fight but you got to be a little careful you know 
Uh, it was a little weird. That That's the weirdest. I think that's the only time I've ever been like that in a fight where I was almost watching a different fight, it felt like. But uh, no, it actually, in fairness, when I did watch the next day, though, yeah, Adesanya won. And uh, But it was, he had moments, like, he just couldn't get him down was, like, the thing. He kept pressing him to the cage, you know, nothing's happening. Then they're at distance, and Adesanya lights him up. But then I, I don't think him holly-homing him with, like, a double leg, it was enough at all to really sway the rounds in his favor. But at the same time, you know, he did did make a really good effort and did a pretty decent job. I love how you turned Holly Holming into a verb. Oh, I have Jake Shielding. I've been trying to add Jake Shielding in there too. I'm gonna <laughs> Holly Homing Holly Homing is a verb for me now. Let's talk about his opponent though, which is Roman Delince. Um he's coming off a win, which was in December, up against Jack Manson on Fight Night Orlando, which I thought very impressive given the way that he managed to pull that off. Uh other notable oh, yeah. wins include uh, Phil Hawes, uh, Kyle Dorcas, and Loviano Stalaporti. Uh, in fact, I've struggled with my words here. Loviano <laughs> Stavapoli. Um, mm. He's only lost came against Trevon Giles. And as somebody who has always rated Trevon Giles quite highly, I think that's a good mm. feather in his cap. Uh, seven KOs, three submissions. But for a lot of people, when people think of Roma Delice, they think of two things. How he finished Jack Manson and dating Cheyenne Days. Wait, what? He? Oh, that's right. Oh, dude, I'm going... Man, never mind. This fight sucks. Um, no, I'm kidding. Uh, oh, she is she is a gorgeous woman. Um, but yeah, Roman Delice, he's got a pretty interesting finishing streak. It's funny. I whenever I had to do research for this fight, for some reason, I I don't know why. I was thinking of the what's I forget his name. The guy the leech had KO'd like a little bit later last year. Uh, Muhan or Sakaev maybe. I know who I you're talking of, about. I know who you're talking about. Yeah, the very, like, he wants to just sit there and wait, then check hook you, then randomly spin. It was that guy I was thinking of. And I'm like, oh, he's going to middleweight? That's weird. And uh, then I did my research, and I was like, oh, yeah, though this guy's actually pretty fun. Um, he's got a pretty good finishing streak going. And I think that's kind of interesting when you consider the fact that while Vittori has this superstar chin, uh, I think... Every legendary chin in history has like a set amount of I – w- I don't want to say a set number because that implies, you know, if it's 500, I can just jab you 500 times and break it. But like a set amount of punishment you can take before it shatters. And like the, the probably the most legendary chin of all time forever was like Dan Henderson. You know, Fedor had that chin for a while as well. Big Nog. Big Nog, one of the most legendary chins actually ever. Uh, you know, no one takes a crow cop high kick or gets pile drived by Bob Sapp and walks away with it. And he did. Um, but like, it, it, I think that punishment starting to add up because I felt like Robert Whitaker with just one shot was re had him hurt worse than Paulo Costa had him or than it is Adesanya had him. And I think, I think Whitaker hits probably harder than Adesanya. Adesanya is more accurate, you know, hitting just clean, you know, shots, it's kind of a difference, but I don't think, I, I don't, as much as a Whitaker fan as I am, I don't think he hits harder than Paulo Costa. And um, so it, it was kind of shocking, like how hurt he had Vittori with, you know, with, with shots. So I'm wondering if that chin might crack in the next year or so, because he does take just a, a lot of punishment, it seems like, and then just kind of like brushes it off. It's, that's one thing that's so fun about him. Um, so 
I could see Delice landing a, a pretty good shot here or on the ground. The punishment just kind of adds up and wears out because uh, the way he got that finish on Jack Hermanson is insane. Like, because if I remember correctly, he had his back and it's just swarming on him. But it, it was like in like a weird entanglement he had him as well in. He basically caught him in a calf slicer and then yeah. used that to reverse position. Hermanson ends up on the bottom. He ends up on top. And Jack can't go anywhere because of the way that his foot's trapped. And he just piles yeah. on the punishment until it's over. That's right. That was the entanglement he had on his back. It was the calf slicer. Because he has him in, like, back full mount with a calf slicer while just raining shots on him. That's And that's an underrated finish, actually. Oh, I remember that one now. Oh, the, no one talks about that one enough. Um, but I, I'm not picking him here. Spoiler alert. But... I feel like the lead say can definitely pull this one off, which yes. would be really cool. Cause I, I want, I, we, you know, we mentioned it earlier and, uh, and I'm sure this is part of your plan, I think as well. Now that I think about it, but we, we, this division needs new blood. And what if it's the lead say, why, why can't it be him if he pulls this off? And, uh, like he, he's, he's a lot of fun. I had actually had a pretty good time researching this one. Uh, cause Vittori is always fun. And, uh, Delice really impressed me. He's like one of those guys where I went, oh, I don't know if I remember any of his fights outside of the Hermanson one. Let me watch them all. Oh, this is awesome. You know, the Phil Hawes one's weird. That's the one where like his leg gives out and he's like, uh, crank, you know, knocks him out. That was, that was a little weird, but uh, he was doing really good before that. So, I think the thing that's going to determine this fight for me is the wrestling because Vittori yeah. has a very grappling heavy game. The leads here, as we mm. know, he can hold his own when it comes to the ground as well. So I think whoever's going to win those exchanges is going to be the one that ends up on top in more than one mm -hmm. sense. I think the scrambles are going to be great. I think the grappling's going to be really fun because uh, Hermanson's a very good grappler. They always talk about Hermanson being like a, a striker, and it's like, no, I always think of him as a grappler. Yeah. You know, um, so I, I like uh, in, on the ground, they were going back and forth, and that's how the leads they finished him was on the ground. So I think the scrambles are going to be a lot of fun here because uh, Vittori's really scrappy when he's on the ground. He's not quite Brunson, where Brunson will fall over himself, but uh, he's very like high movement when he's on top. And uh, Delice, pretty active from the bottom, always trying to get something going and always looking to scramble. And on top, you know, it's going to be just. I think, I think it's going to be. I don't want to. This is a great fight, so I don't want to put this expectation in there. But um, the best example I could think of is it kind of reminds me of the Matush Gamrot versus uh, Benil Dariush and like how the scrambles we kind of figured they would be. But a middleweight version of that, so a lot slower, <laughs> sadly. I wouldn't be surprised if it turns into a brawl. Vittori has a yeah. bit of a, that sort of like meathead persona and he knows that Delizia has a grappling background. So I could see it possibly being that sort of sloppy kickboxing match. It's sort mm -hmm. of similar to like the Costa fight. Yeah. I think in that case, I think Roman has a really good chance because he has the power advantage for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think he it's definitely a really has close power. fight. It's, it's closer than the odds should be. Yeah, for sure. I, I remember seeing the odds before I did my research and I was like, oh, okay. And then I was like, maybe he hasn't looked that great outside of the Hermanson thing. No, I don't know about this one now. This one's really pretty close. Um, if I'm, I'm picking Vittori here. But man, I'm I'm not gonna be shocked at all if the lead say pulls off this upset. And uh, if you're a betting man, I 
I'm, I, I'm never going to advise anyone to bet because I, what if I'm wrong? Now I feel like I owe you the money back. Uh, but uh, with the odds, I can see Delise being kind of a satisfying or uh, a tantalizing little pick there. You've sort of ruined our build-up to the INC betting show, which will be taking place oh. on Wednesdays. Oh, no. What have I done? <laughs> <laughs> Joe Neal, Nick conning it again, taking over another thing. <laughs> but no, I think this one's going to be a very, very entertaining fight, a good way to open up the card. Um, coming up next, we have got our welterweight encounter and a regular fixture when it comes to the British cards. It's Gunnar Nelson who will be taking on Brian Barberena. Nelson is a minus 400 favourite. Barberena, you could get a plus 295. Now, this was originally supposed to be Daniel Rodriguez who was taking this fight. Unfortunately, he picked up an injury. Barbarina steps in on short notice. I don't know about you, and this is no offense to Daniel Rodriguez. This is a more entertaining fight. Brian Barbarina, you talk about fighters who should be in boy stables. He's worthy of it. Absolutely. He, I think, I wonder if he has like too much respect because like I feel like whenever... It's a Brian Barberina fight. Okay, we have to sit down and watch this. I feel like that kind of might give him way too much respect in that matter. Because uh, that dude, to me, feels like a first ballot Hall of Famer in terms of like the violence number. Him and Matt Brown like are first ballot Hall of Famers in the, in the violent eyes. Because uh, all of his fights are just almost guaranteed brawls. Uh, as much as I hate the finish... I do really like the Robbie Lawler fight. Uh, I just don't like seeing my guy Robbie Lawler lose. But um, his fight with Vicente Luque is unbelievable fight. Uh, one of the craziest ones ever. And, but man, I don't know about this one. I know it's a short notice, so I really can't blame the matchmaking too much, but I kind of hate it. Uh, uh, it doesn't play in the Barbarina's strengths. Not at all. I'm not, it makes me nervous. It makes me think of what's going to happen like with the RDA fight. Yep. So we'll talk about Gunny Nelson here. So he is mm. competing for the first time in a year. He fought Takeshi Sato at the Fight Night London card, which was um, Aspinall versus Volkov, the, one of the greatest mm. fight nights of all time. Uh, yeah. Although I will say that was one of the weaker parts of that card. It was 30-27, not really all that exciting. Um, in terms of Nelson, some of his notable wins include Cowboy Oliveira, Alan Joban, Albert Tumanov, and Brandon Fatch. But what's more interesting to me is the fighters who've beaten him. And this include Leon Edwards, Gilbert Burns, Damian Meyer, and Ponzinibbio. So mm -hmm. we found that he sort of has a ceiling when it comes to this weight class. But it still means something if you beat him. Absolutely. Uh, I think, I remember his fight with Rick Story. I think that was his first MMA loss in general, was Rick Story. And uh, yeah, it kind of showed that like, Maybe because at the time he was hyped up as like the next big thing at welterweight and that kind of soured it. But then he, he's, he's just consistently gets wins. And I hate using the I hate putting the, the term gatekeeper on him. But that's kind of what it feels like he is. You know, it feels like he's in that kind of uh, if you beat him, you're probably top 10 at the time. And um, or if it even like maybe even uh, a little higher. But I mean, he's he's got some years on him. But if you beat him, like I think that's a really good feather in his cap because he is probably one of the best European jiu-jitsu guys in MMA history, for sure. Like It's the is... style that makes him so fascinating because obviously oh, yeah. you've got that jiu-jitsu background, which is incredibly highly acclaimed. 
but he combines mm. it with this karate style. It's like it's like if Machida learned how to grapple. Yeah, someone uh, how I was pitched him before he made his debut in the UFC against Demarcus Johnson, I believe it was, was uh, uh, who was another boy stable guy for me back in the day. But it was if Machida and Damian Maya had a uh, a Viking child, and I went, okay, well let's check this out. And uh, yeah, he was awesome. You know, he had a uh, he got to welcome uh, Jorge Santiago back, who once again has one of the crazy. I, I've said this in the retro review with uh, back in the day with um, the Strike Force one, one of the craziest fights ever uh, against uh, Masaki. Uh, so go watch that if you haven't. Trust me. Um, but yeah, it's um, he's he's got just like that almost hypnotizing style where he just kind of sits and waits and waits and then clobbers with that one-shot, one-kill kind of karate mentality. Uh, his karate is much more in the vein of... of Because, uh, like, there's... Like, when it comes to MMA karate, it feels like you're either a GSP, Robert Whitaker type, where it's a lot of setup and then, you know, but you're actively setting up your striking and your karate, uh, or you're the Machida, Gunnar Nelson type, which is to wait, land that one-shot bomb like perfectly timed or you set up a blitz and uh, he's definitely more like a Machida. So if you're a Machida fan, Gunnar Nelson's always a, you know, a blast to watch, but his grappling is very good. Uh, Damian Maya outclassed him, but that's because Damian Maya has an argument as like a top 10 grappler, not even just an MMA, but in history, I think, I think he's a probably a top 10 guy in grappling, but Gunnar Nelson is very fascinating on the ground. His fight with uh, Dirty Cowboy Oliveira is awesome. Yeah. Um, and a brutal finish as well. Oh, yeah. Just, it's, uh, I, I always joke that, like, the like how much I just love that good old-fashioned family-friendly violence. That is <laughs> one of them fights. That is one of them fights. It is a, a bloody, gory, just massacre. And I... Oh, I love it so much. You mentioning family-friendly violence it makes me think of the '60s Batman, with pow, oh. bam, whack, <laughs> pow. I got, <laughs> I uh, my friend got to meet um, Adam West, and that's all he could talk about. <laughs> like, it was like, can we just talk about the '60s Batman? I love that show. So we talked about the upside when it comes to Gunny Nelson, and a lot of people be listening to this thinking, well, this guy should be like top three, top four in his weight class. Obviously, yeah. he's not. What are the biggest feelings? Why hasn't Gunny Nelson become that sort of superstar that his portfolio makes you think he should be? So it remember it's like how I said he's very Machida esque. So that comes with you know there's no there's no such thing as a perfect striking style, um, and the karate style was like one of those styles that like and like you know people were like oh this is the best striking style it turns out it's not you're you're really susceptible to low kicks. Ponzinibbio had a lot of success with his low kicks. But another thing, too, is he doesn't quite have the movement that a Machida had, so, or like in his prime. So he is a lot more hittable. Um, he's always been like really hittable. And so with guys like Rick Story, Rick Story is able to just, he was at it, he was landing a ton of uh, lead right hands to the body, which wear out the gas tank, slow you down. And then here he is to, you know, he didn't finish him, but he was just able to use that lead he took and make it expand into other avenues. Um, and then with Ponzinibbio, Ponzinibbio at the time, pre-destructive knee surgeries that he had to have was, I thought, a title contender. 
So the, like the low kicks were adding up and he was able to just crack with right hands consistently whenever he got close and not very many people can take that. Um, and against Damian Maya, he tried to grapple with Damian Maya and it wasn't happening. He couldn't get his, so his wrestling is kind of a failing for him. So he can get grounded and kind of controlled. It seems like as Damian Maya was able to do. Um, but then again, that's also Damian Maya doing that. So, you know, and sometimes um, I get the impression. I feel like as well, he's Sometimes I get the impression as well that Goody might be a bit too patient for his own good. That's a that's a good one. A good way to look at it too. That's a actually. Yeah, that's a really good one. Because uh, I feel like that's actually his problem in the Ponzinibbio one. Is if Ponzinibbio overextended, he's not there ready for that counter. You know, he was just kind of like, okay, I'm just gonna just leave, just try to circle out, and uh, yeah, like and that's how in Oliveira came at him out of the jump and once it's another thing too with that karate style you think oh super counter striker you're okay getting pressured no no Oliveira pressured him really hard out of the jump out of the jump and was able to really make it kind of a dog fight and Gunner Gunny Nelson just isn't there for that dog fight that's not really what he is there for he doesn't want to have that dog fight really and, and yet he's um, fighting Brian Barberin I mean that's all the Brian yeah. Barberin ever does yeah that's all Barberino ever wants to do yeah. The uh, it's every fight with Barbarina is in a phone booth and throwing a thousand strikes a minute. Um, the bookmakers odds, as we mentioned before, do have Gunny Nelson as a minus four hundred favorite, and I think a big reason mm-hmm. for that stems on some of the issues with Brian Barbarina in terms of his ground game. His last fight came against Rafael dos Anjos, that was on the Orlando card in December twenty twenty two, and obviously RDA legend of the sport and Barbarina was going through this phase where he was sort of like being a sledging killer, beating Matt Brown, beating Robbie Lawler. Mm. Um, obviously he runs RDA and RDA makes easy work of him on the ground. And I think there's a lot of people thinking, Hey, if Barbarina struggled that badly against RDA, Gunny Nelson, who has this grappling base, going to make easy work of him. Is it as clear cut as that? Yes and no. Uh, so when Barbarina pressured um, RDA, RDA would clinch up with him and then trip him down, take him down to the ground, or he would let Barbarina step in and then get the get the double or the single to take him down. Um, I don't I don't feel like Gunny Nelson has that kind of I'm all, he's on the defensive, letting his opponent step in and into a takedown uh, kind of style. He kind of likes to work for it in the clinch, or if it presents itself in the perfect opportunity. You know, very much playing into that. He's almost too patient for his own good. If the fight goes to the ground, uh, I think it's the Gunny Nelson show. You know, um, I think he's, I think he can definitely, I think that's definitely how he's going to do it. I think he's going to want to stick and move, try to avoid the brawl. And then if he gets to the ground, okay, it, it, this my, it's my time. And he can definitely make it look like the RDA fight. But I don't think he'll, I don't think it'll be as easy as RDA had it. RDA made, made it look really easy, like it's, you know, plain and simple, easy way to do it. But no, nah, I don't think it'll be that easy for Gunny Mills, just based on their how they attack the takedowns and their grappling styles. Um, are you going to be leaning towards Gunny for this one, or are you picking Barbarina to get an upset? I really want Barbarina to get the upset. Uh, but I think Gunny Nelson is going to kind of just stick and move look for these opportunities and uh, I, I, I see him winning by, I could see it being early, but I think 
late second round to any at any time in the third round submission win for Gunny Nelson. I'm in the same board. I'm going to say third round. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of rough one, but, you know, it, it's not the matchmaking's fault. It's, uh, you know, credit to Barbarina. I always love it when a guy is willing to take any fight at any time. So, And it's going to put him in the UFC's good books because the UFC love oh, yeah. guys who can are willing to step in on short notice to help out a card. Yeah. Yeah, if you, there's two things they like. Not talking – three things. Not talking about pay, stepping in on short notice, and uh, listening to Dana White give his speech on uh, do you want to be an effing fighter. And Barbarina fits at least two of those. So that's 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 good for, that's good enough for me too. Yeah, there's a, there's a third one which um, connects Dana White and the heavyweight champion, but I'm not going to go into that one. <laughs> yeah, I, I avoided that one. Yes. <laughs> Fight number three, we're going to the women's flyweight division and a welcome back to uh, Joanne Coldher Wood. See what I did there? She's going to be taking yeah. on Brazil's Luana Carolina. Uh, Jojo, you can get as minus 170 and Luana is at plus 150. Now, Calderwood is returning to action here and does so to a very different 125. Uh, back when she fought there, she fought some girl called Alexa Grasso, who I think was, what, ranked 9th or 10th at the time and... Who knows whatever happened to her? Anna? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I think we've always talked, obviously, between ourselves about this sort of flyweight new guard, not just Grasso, but you've got to obviously Tyler Santos in there, Casey O'Neill, uh, Manon Filro. Mm. And I'd argue that one of the bigger victims of that new guard has been Jojo, because she was at one point top five in the weight class. A lot of people believe that she would get a match with Shevchenko at some point. Of course, uh, some of these results went against her. She ended up fighting a lot of the new guard itself. And now she finds herself outside the rankings. And a lot of people believe it could be sort of like the final stand of her career. Definitely seems like it. It's, uh, I mean, right now she's on a three-fight losing streak. And it's against two someone who I think should have been champ to the current champ and Lauren Murphy, who, which I know that sounds bad when I word it that way, actually, but Lauren Murphy is very, very talented in a, a, a very solid. Belt. Yeah. Um, and then before that, it was Jessica. I, which I think is where they were like, Oh, we might be able to put her in a title contention with this because, Oh, Jojo, she's, you know, everyone loves Jojo. I feel like on some level, Big, a pretty pretty good sized name. I think she was my first favorite female fighter besides Ronda because I love. I remember hearing her nickname was Doctor Neville, and then going to watch her fights, and I was like, "Yeah, this this chick is awesome." And then the accent made me melt. But that's a different story. Um, and uh, and but, some of the other losses yeah. here: yeah. Chukasian, Jennifer Maya, yeah. Jessica Andrade. Mm -hmm. Tons. So she's not like, losing they're to all bad fighters. No, uh, I think like the like. Biggest, like, I, th I think it was, um, it was back at 115 where she got armbarred. Mavos. Oh, I freak. Yes. And, and then she, but she had a run that looked like she could have got a title shot at one point. Like, she was kind of coming up too. So, no one, she, she hasn't lost to any bad fighters. Uh, it, it, her, her record looks way spottier than it really is because, uh, like the her and Alexa Grasso fight was really close up until Grasso got the takedown, which, you know. Uh, that fight was pretty good, too. Um, Talia Santos, I think the fight was similar. And I think then Santos just muscled her down, got the back. Um, it, it just it just kind of is what it is. You know, sadly, like this, the old, she's part of the old guard. The new guard's coming in. 
And uh, Lauren Murphy's going to be around for probably at least a good, probably a good amount more. Um, whereas like Talia Santos is going to be around for a while. And so is Lexa Grasso, I think. Uh, it's just kind of how it is, sadly. Uh, and I th- and I think your theory is very on point with this one. I'm going to put forward my theory now here. Um, a lot of people have been wondering why is this fight on the main card over, say, Casey O'Neill versus Jennifer Meyer, which is higher ranked in the same way class, a lot more sort of relevant to the title picture at Women's 125. And I put forward the theory to Joe that the UFC like to give their company men a sort of a, a pedestal. When, it, when they're about mm. to say goodbye, they like to put them on a pay-per-view main card. So we saw that recently with Donald Cerrone when he retired. Uh, we saw that with... Um, uh, trying to think of somebody else. There's somebody else who retired uh, quite recently. Frankie Edgar. Frankie, Frankie Edgar, Edgar versus Chris Gutierrez. I, uh, I feel bad for, for getting Frankie there. Um, oh, it and of course, Joanne Calderwood, Scottish... It's a fight card which is in the UK. Jojo is now 37 years old. She's entering a new stage of her life. She got married to uh, John Wood. I think this is her last fight, win or lose. And I think they want that possibility of her going out on a win, saying her goodbyes, putting the gloves down there, riding off into the sunset. Big cheers and celebrations for... Let's... I mean, it might be exaggerating this here. A sort of a, a trendsetter, a pioneer of a British MMA. She is... Before Molly McCann, she was the most prominent female fighter from the UK. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and she's like one of the first, like, uh, I mean, obviously it didn't translate very well, but she, she had like knockout knockouts for a while. And, you know, a lot of people love the cat, like love, uh, love the striking. And that's, that's Joanne to a T. And so a lot of fandom, uh, like a pioneer, great history and relationship with fans yeah i mean i, I definitely you know she's gonna get a, a, a good welcome home she's gonna get a big applause and i i'm i'm looking forward to that for her yeah let's talk a little bit about her opponent though luana carolina uh eight and three records so far uh some of her wins in the ufc she's three and two so far with the promotion her losses came against ariani lipsky and molly mccann both of those losses mm-hmm. i will say Probably two of the most brutal losses I have seen a female MMA fighter sustain. So her loss to Lipsky, oh, yeah. she got knee barred in the first round. It was on a Fight Island card. Very brutal to watch. I don't recommend that people right. check it out. And then in her last fight, she fought <laughs> Molly and suffered a spinning knockout from hell. Oh, yeah. She was getting whooped on for two and a half rounds and then spinning elbow. Yeah. Yeah. The Molly beatball train starts. Yep. And I will say, like, Molly McCann gets memed on a lot, but I mm. did enjoy her watching... I did re-watch that fight, and I did have a it's lot awesome. of fun watching it. Because, like, Molly's just like a bulldog in there. So she catches oh, Luana yeah. with, like, this big overhand. It's just like, I'm going to get you now. It's like Scrappy-Doo, let me at her. Yeah, she she's actually, a, like, a blast. I feel bad that people meme on her. Uh, and people don't like her because, like, it's like a personality thing with, like, the her and Patty thing. Like, their personalities, I think, are kind of grating. But no, in fighting, like no, Molly's awesome. She's a blast. Uh, like I, she gets too kind of a heart of a rep. Yep. Um, in terms of the upside when it comes to Luana, though, she has had uh, three wins: Lupe Godinez, Pollyanna Botelho, and Priscilla Cachoeira. Uh, she actually dropped Priscilla in that fight as well. Big head kick mm. and nearly finished it on the ground. 
Um, I think it's going to be an interesting fight when it comes to Giorgio as well, because both these fighters with Muay Thai backgrounds, uh, Luana mm. prefers to counter-strike, so I can maybe look for Giorgio to be the one on the offense going on the front foot. The big issue when it comes to Luana, though, is her striking defense. She does get mm. tagged a lot. She's very stationary. Like, that's what made that spinning elbow so perfect, is she's, like, walking in, like, head is not on a swivel, it's not, there's no head movement, it's just standing still, and just walks right into it. Yeah. Um, and I think as well, I think the overhand was a big weapon for Molly as well. So I think that might be something mm -hmm. that Giorgio tries to exploit. Mm -hmm. They're both tall, lanky. I think they're around the same height, aren't they? I think Luana might be a little bit taller. Yeah, well, Luana looked super tall yes. against uh, Molly. But Molly, like you said, is Stocky. the, the pit, bull, yeah, pit bull bulldog kind of body type. Five six and oh, they're at the same height. Oh, huh. Well, how how tall is Molly Meatball? Because they're my height. Like Molly must huh. be tiny. Yeah, because they're I'm I'm a very short guy. You know, I'm five six. So, oh, but yeah, they're tall for the weight class though. Or they they always seem like they're pretty solid height. Uh, at least Joanna was at one twenty five or one fifteen. She was towering over a good amount of them. But two tall, lanky Muay Thai fighters. This could actually be a pretty solid little little scrap here, I think. Yeah. Do you think there's a chance of any of them trying to exchange in a ground fight? Because I know that Joanne Calderwood sort of gets memed on a little bit because of her poor performances once people take her down. It's been a real vulnerability mm. in her past two fights. But people forget mm. before then, she was a lot more open to going for takedowns in the early stages mm. of a run. Like, she pretty much dominated Lipsky on the ground. I think she got a submission against Kalindra Faria. So, mm -hmm. I think it, I think maybe is there, an op is there a possibility that Jojo might be looking to try and go for takedowns, end up on top? Maybe especially if she starts losing the striking? I think so. I, I, I really do think so. Because whenever I think of, like, Jojo's weakness on the ground, I think of it, her weakness off her back. Yes. When she's on top, she does very well, I think. Um... When she's on top, she's pretty. She does pretty well. I, I can't. Act, I should have looked this one up. Was she submitted while she was on top, on uh, on tough? Because I think it was Rose that got her, wasn't it? It was Rose. Yeah, I picked her to win tough that year. That was rough for me, but, um, and uh, yeah, uh, I. But I think when she's on top, she does a really good job. She's got a good base when she's in the guard. It seems like it's really kind of hard to buck her off. Um, she definitely knows what she's doing when she's on top and her takedowns are very underrated. Um, but when she's on her back is kind of where it seems like, you know, that's where the pro performances and the, the critiques start to come in. But, uh, I, no, I could definitely see her trying to take a sight to the ground if she wants. Uh, maybe if she gets, I don't think she's going to lose the striking, uh, by a decent margin, but I think, uh, but if she gets tagged, mm -hmm. she's like, oh, I don't want to get hit again. I'm taking her down. You know, I definitely could see it being like that. Yep. Um, a lot of people hoping this one turns into the stand-up fight. I think that's what they're expecting. That's a big reason, in my opinion, they're choosing this over uh, Maya versus O'Neal, as well as the other factors mm -hmm. of, like, Giorgio potentially retiring. Um, where is your money going for this one? My money's on Jojo. Uh, and uh, definitely could call me bias if I'm wrong, because, you know, like I said, she's, like, one of my first favorite fighters, uh, for uh, out of females at least. Um, you know, good old Dr. Neville. I, I still think that's an awesome nickname. 
But uh, yeah, I, I, I like her here. And uh, I think she gets a unanimous decision. She isn't quite the finisher as, you know, her stylings would uh, would see. But uh, I, I can def- I, if she does finish her, I think it'll be with a, a body shot knee. I could kind of see it. Yeah, I'm going to pick Giorgio by decision as well. But I will have this little uh, suffix to my prediction. Mm-hmm. I think Giorgio is going to have a lot more offense. She's going to be throwing a lot more. But I think Luana has the power advantage. So if somebody is going to mm-hmm. be getting rocked or dropped, it's going to be her doing it to Giorgio. Yeah, I can see it. Call main event time now, Joe, and I think you might need to get the lube for this one. Justin Gagey, <laughs> Rafael Pizayev, lightweight bout, potential number one contender fight, depending on what happens with other fights further down the road. Gagey is surprisingly a plus 190 favorite. Pizayev, you can get at minus 230. And what can you say, Joe? This one potentially could be an absolute belter. Uh, this is... I spent I I spent ninety percent of my research just watching these, and I probably was done, you know, a couple like three or four fights in, but I just kept watching their careers, and I, yeah, like this is my rainy day kind of fight. Oh my lord, this might be the only reason I would consider buying the pay per view. Like I'm gonna watch the pay per view regardless, but paying the full eighty, you know, but this this fight is the like the mecca of fights for me what do you mean joe you 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 buy every single pay-per-view legally every normal means every single one every single one uh you know you wouldn't uh, do anything illegal would you i wouldn't download a car you know i uh (laughs) um and i don't have lube here for it but i have beard oil and that'll be fine um what this is hot under the collar kind of fight and i always like to try and find a sort of framing device around every single fight that we cover on the show and for me when it comes to gagey versus fizayev i think the biggest one is actually gagey himself because there seems to be this sort of trend recently of sort of like lightweight old guard the fighters who came to prominence around sort of 2017 2018 trying to hold on to their place at the top of the weight class. So obviously we're going to have Oliveira versus Benny coming up uh, in a month's time, which is a very similar sort Mm -hmm. of fight. And for me, this is a real litmus test to see where Justin Gagey still stands in this weight class. Because, don't get me wrong, Justin Gagey, one of the most entertaining fighters in the UFC right now. Obviously he's fought Mm -hmm. for the belt twice. He won an interim title. He's obviously capable of being very talented. But I don't know. I got the impression when I saw him against Charles Oliveira, we're seeing the first signs of a fighter that maybe isn't what he was. Like, I've been quite positive about Justin Gagey in terms of his evolution from this sort of wild, reckless brawler who took too much punishment for his own good and becoming a lot more refined. I watched that Charles Oliveira fight again, and he almost seemed to go back to this sort of like reckless... I mean, he was throwing himself yeah. off balance. He was putting so much power into his shot. It was strange to say. It, it felt like a de-evolution. Yes. And he... And I, I had a theory about it. Um, so I heard... I picked... I, I will say, for the record, I did pick Gaethje to win against Habib. I thought Gaethje's the guy to do it. Um, I thought if it's, if it's not Tony, it's probably Gaethje. And... Um, 
I I I heard a theory that the old Gaethje from like uh, WSOF was a better matchup against Habib than the refined counter-striking technical Gaethje. And I went, huh. And I kind of thought about it, and I don't quite see it, but I, I can understand the argument. Um, apologies, my nose is super itchy out of nowhere. Um, and uh, blame the mustache. But I think... I wonder if that was kind of his idea with the Charles Oliveira fight. But, I mean, he nearly finished Oliveira multiple times. He had him hurt many times, and he was doing the smart thing of, nope, not going to the ground. Let's stand back up. But then he kind of just opened himself up for counters, gets dropped, and gets finished. And uh, in a crazy one-round fight, I always forget that fight's one round with how much action happens in it. Um, but, man, I'm really worried this is like that was the beginning of the end for the Gaethje show. Yeah, and I think especially when, and this is no disrespect to Charles Oliveira, Charles has never been known mm. as sort of like a one-shot knockout artist. So for mm. Gagey, who was always known for being super durable, taking a lot of punishment before being finished, him getting dropped by Charles Oliveira, I was a bit thrown off by that. Yeah, Gagey said in an interview recently that he goes, yeah, no one talks about how hard he hits, but he said that Oliveira is the hardest hitter he's ever been hit by, which makes me kind of go, Huh. Intr- like, I thought his strikings looked a lot better, but I've never thought of him as that one-shot dude. And Gaethje said, no, he is. Which, I, I don't know how what to make of that. Um, big big praise for Gaethje to say that, because he's taken bombs from Chandler, Poirier, Tony. I mean, he's... Uh, Michael, or, uh, Michael Johnson, one of the most underrated hitters ever at lightweight, and took bombs from all of them, and kept walking and he said Charles is number one, which is kind of crazy. Eddie Alvarez as well. Another big, big time hitter. I mean, how many big shots did he take against Chandler? Oh my God. Uh, uh, it, just an unreal, unrealistic amount. It's amazing. Every time, if, if you see a Justin Gaethje fight, if you've, if you're, if you're new to MMA and you've never heard of Justin Gaethje or anything like that, um, let me just a word of advice because I have a lot of friends who are getting into MMA currently. I always say, if you see the name Justin Gaethje on a card, you watch it because he's probably putting on fight of the year. You know, I've called him the Diego Corrales of MMA. Yeah. He, he reminds me of a, a less technical and I'm sure he would love this praise. So if you're watching Justin, you know, here you go, buddy. Um, but he reminds me of uh, my favorite boxer ever. Uh, oh no, I actually just blanked for some reason on it. Oh no, the morning this. Oh, oh he we'll had like the loss. Yeah, we're giving me a pass. I'll, I'll remember it later on when I'm talking about him in a technical level. <laughs> Mickey Ward? No, uh, Mexican fighter was like 100 plus and 0. Oh, um, uh, uh, it's at the tip you know, of my tongue. I, I, I know how to look this up. My Spotify is open, and uh, I tell there's you what, a song I'll let about you him. have a look at that while I talk about his opponent, Rafael Fizayev, 12-1 record so far in the UFC, and he's coming off the highest-profile win of his career. He beat Rafael Dos Anjos in a UFC fight night. Outside of RDA, some of his notable wins include Brad Riddell, Bobby Green, uh, Renato Moyacano, and Mark DeCasey, so he was always beating that sort of lower top-15 level fighter when it came to the lightweight division. 
he did lose his UFC debut to Magomed Mustafaev, which is the only loss so far of his career. But since that loss, five straight performance bonuses. And you'd add that in with Justin Gagey, who has 10 of them so far in the UFC. So 15 post-fight performance bonuses between these two men, which is a big reason as to why so many people are excited about this fight. It is. I... The more we talk about this fight, the more I'm like, can it be next week yet? Like, oh. Um, yeah, Fazayev is a Muay Thai, I've, I've heard this term before, a, mort, a Muay Thai wrecking ball. Like, just a whirlwind. He is he is everything I want in a traditional Muay Thai fighter fighting in, in MMA. Just a blast. All eight Venoms coming at you. It's beautiful. <laughs> And what is it about Pizayev's Muay Thai game that makes him so exciting for you? I, I'm a big fan of kicks, like a big kick fan. Uh, I blame Krokop growing up and uh, and Tadgers, Tajiri, uh, in uh, WWE. I'm not joking. Yeah, that's un- unironically. I think those are like why I like kicks is those two. And uh, but I, so I he he understands one of my favorite concepts in striking which is the open guard, close guard matchup. So if you're fighting someone who's orthodox and you're orthodox as well, you know, left hand forward, you want to kick their stomach, their open side belly. Because if you try to kick, you know, with your right leg against an orthodox fighter, um, they can just turn their back and you're hitting their back, which is a little bit more protected than their softer, you know, core and stuff. So he has beautiful step up, switch, lead leg kicks to the gut. Um, And then if you're a southpaw, He's still kicking your gut. He's kicking. He wants you want to kick the outside of their calf, you know, on the outside. So, you know, uh, like outside low kicks and stuff like that. So he'll do that with both his left leg if they're southpaw or his right leg if they're orthodox. Um, he understands how to bait, like how to cut the cage off with kicks, which is a, like a Matt Brown technique from years ago. Uh, like Matt Brown, Eric Silva, for example. Eric Silva looks to to step out and circle out. Here comes a high kick or a body kick that Matt Brown uses to step in and stop the movement to force it back into the phone booth. Um, but Fazayev will do it to cut the cage off, force you to stand still so he can land another combination, or even bait you into moving a direction that he wants you to, like he did, did against Brad Riddell, into a wheel kick. And it is, and he's got a ton of power. His hands are very good. Um, he kind of gets a little like kind of punch, punch, punch with his head, like kind of standing still sometimes when he uh, like Bobby Green was able to exploit that a little bit. But tons of power, tons of just weapons everywhere. And his uh, and he and despite him having a questionable gas tank, I think he clearly carries that power into championship rounds, as we saw against RDA. So that's a very good sign for him. Yeah, he's also a very hard fighter to read. I've heard a lot of people say yeah. that his rhythm throws a lot of them off, and it's un- and it's not until the third round that people start clicking onto what he's doing, and that's when he's starting to slow mm. down. Obviously, with the conditioning issues. Mm. Yeah, tons of feints. Like you said, the rhythm of it. Like he'll just kind of sit there, and it's constant like shoulder movements. That could probably be why he's so tired. Is I think I could probably get tired after like five minutes of even doing that. Uh, but it's always like shoulder. His, his shoulders are always moving to show punches or kicks, and uh, and it just kind of freezes you. Like I think Brad Riddell said, I just felt frozen there at times. Like I didn't know what to do. We've got and two. That's awesome. We've got two very 
forward thinking forces here. Gagey, as we know, loves to go forward, put on a lot of pressure, especially the old style Gagey, who would just basically use that constant pressure along with his low kicks to just eventually wear you out entire year. Bizayev likes to go forward as well, so who's going to give first? Um, I don't know idea. Um, you have both, both guys are also very underrated counter strikers. So if someone says, you know what, I'm okay with him taking the first step forward. Like either one of them could realistically say that they both want to move forward. Gaethje is kind of, if when Gaethje's in his technical kind of flow, he reminds me of Julio Cesar Chavez. Cannot believe I forgot that name. I'm going to be disowned by my family if they see this. Um, <laughs> but uh, my favorite boxer ever too. I don't know how I forgot. Just senior. Eh. But I he reminds me of senior that. here, not junior. Yes. Well, it was junior. Act. No. Yeah. Senior for sure. Yeah. Senior is my favorite boxer ever. Probably my pick for top three. Uh, but yeah, he reminds me of that kind of just forward momentum, cutting the cage off. Wants the body shots and uh, will use the low kicks as well. His fight with Edson Barbosa is a good example of that. But. Fazayev is a little bit better on the counter than Edson Barbosa. I think he's a better striker than Edson Barbosa, uh, even at that point in his career. Um, and then Gaethje on, when, when Gaethje lets his opponent step in, he's got a great counter striking too, as we saw in probably, uh, it's a ridiculous fight and I love it. It's probably in my top five ever is the Tony Ferguson fight, uh, which my best friend hates. So, but yeah, I love that fight. And because uh, it shows off Gaethje's like counter striking and just kind of letting Tony step in, and then here comes like a big, two hundred percent level punch coming in, and it's it, it's I, I I don't know I have no idea what's going to happen here because both guys can realistically win taking the lead or letting the other person take the lead. And normally, we, normally we would ask for a prediction between the two, but we made a gentleman's agreement that we're not going to do it for this fight. Yeah, I'm taking the coward's way out. Uh, I, 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 no, you know, you always say, all right, gun to the head. I just say, all right, let's get this over with. You know, I, I can't hear. I, I, I spent all week trying to find an answer for this question and I don't have one. I, my, my official answer is going to be, I'm going to enjoy it with a nice, with food in front of me and a soda behind me. That's my prediction is I'm going to have a great time. I just hope the fight delivers. It's been hyped up so much. I, the last thing I would want is for this fight to be like Lewis versus Ngannou. Oh, my God. Or it becomes... Uh, yeah, that's actually probably the worst example. Or the best example, really. Like, like it's that or Rose Esparza or anything. Like, who knows? But I, I think I think Gaethje... I don't see him ever not delivering, you know? I will say, Lewis versus Ngannou is worth rewatching just for the commentary. Just hearing yeah. Joe get more and more angry as the fight goes on. It's it's amazing. I There's a meme I have on my phone where it's like this guy thinks he went to heaven. And it's like, here's every fight you could ever want to watch now. And he's like, these are all just Lewis and Ganu. And the angel starts ripping off his mask. And you can <laughs> see the red skin and the horn popping out. And it just ends right there. It's like, yeah, that's 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 my nightmare. Uh, <laughs> but the commentary is really good in that. It's better than the commentary in uh, Rose Esparza uh, 2, which uh, I watched many times for the recap. I'm actually uh, collecting <sighs> clips for that one for an upcoming video. I won't give too much away, <laughs> but 
I'm having to relive that fight myself. It's just it's it's a it's a joy, isn't it? <laughs> Moving on to our main event here, the main reason we're doing a pay-per-view in the UK, it is Leon Edwards, Britain's champion, who is taking on the number one seed, the former champion, Kamara Usman, welterweight title on the line. Betting odds for this one is Leon Edwards is a plus 190 favourite. Kamara Usman comes in at minus 240. Now this is the third fight between the two men. The first took place in December 2015 and the second coming in August 2022 in Salt Lake City where Leon Edwards losing on the scorecards pulls out a head kick knockout becomes the first man to finish Kamara Usman in the UFC and becomes Britain's second UFC champ. Now, before we actually talk about the fight itself, Joe, I want to ask your your opinion when it comes to immediate rematches because this was something that Ariel Helwani discussed recently on his show. He brought it up in the context, obviously, with Alexa Grasso. And I don't 100% agree with what Ariel was saying, but I did find it interesting and I think it's worth sort of bringing to the fore. Now, Ariel was very critical of the idea of immediate rematches. And he said for two Mm. reasons. One, he doesn't think it's fair on other contenders that the champion gets an immediate chance to get the belt back. And two, he feels like when you have a sort of like a feel-good underdog win, like Grasso, like Leon Edwards, like Juliana Pena a few years ago, obviously Mm -hmm. it dominates social media, big smile on everyone's faces, the underdog proved everyone wrong. By running the fight back and potentially reversing the result, it almost retcons the first feel- the feeling of the first fight. And with the way the MMA fan base, the MMA media is, they treat it almost as if it didn't happen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's actually a really good point, like the, the whole retconning thing, because uh, if it wasn't for uh, our friendship, I probably would have forgot Nunez lost to Pena, i got to be honest. That's the only thing I ever post on social media. I'll make sure you never forget. (laughs) I know. Every time I go, yeah, I'm pretty, I think Nunez is the goat. I just can like, I can just, every time that comes up, here comes uh, you and your Pena shirt. And I'm like, oh, never mind. Hold on. I got to think about this one a little bit harder now. But um, like the comparison he made was like Buster Douglas versus Mike Tyson has gone down in folklore as long, like boxing's greatest upset. What we think as highly of that fight if they ran it back four months later and Tyson knocked him out in the second round? No, not at all. Um, we wouldn't have, we wouldn't think of it as highly at all. It's a really good example. Um, for me, I, I, I know, I feel like in the, in the past I've wanted immediate rematches when my guys have lost the belt. I know for Whitaker, which is probably the big one for me, uh, I know for Rob, I probably didn't. I, I don't think I remember asking for um, a rematch when Adesanya beat him. I think it was like, okay, let's see if Rob can get back or something. I don't know. That was just kind of heartbroken at the time. But um, I know for like, I know for Kane and Verdum, I wanted the re- the run back years ago. Uh, for for Brandon Moreno, I was that's probably the biggest one. I've been. I was like, oh, I I don't like this decision. I think it should run it back. So I think a lot of it is context is key for it. I, I hate immediate rematches. I'm kind of getting sick of them. Um, so at the risk of sounding like a hypocrite, because I've been asked, I've asked for them in the past. 
I think I'm just over it now. I think even if, if Brandon Moreno fights Pantoja and Pantoja wins off of like a Dominic Reyes, John Jones kind of decision or something like that, or, or worse, like a Diego Sanchez, Ross Pearson one, I think I'm going to be like, all right, anyways, so uh, Brandon Royville or whoever's next up uh, at 125, um, because that division needs to move on. Rematches have kind of hurt flyweight. I, I, I think I'm just kind of over him. I, and I understand the, the case for this one, but the whole, like, I have a re, like, if, if it, if there, if Usman wins this one, then I think it's going to hurt what I think is probably the biggest comeback in MMA history. It's definitely, it's I don't definitely know about up there. That. Yeah. I think in terms of like how it happened and like, the, the context of the fight itself, like just what's in was in the cage. Um, it, it's up there. I don't think it's the guaranteed number one, but with the context of the title on the line, I think that adds that Rocky movie element to it. So I don't know. And I want to, I want to add as well for people who think that I'm against this fight taking place. I think when it comes to meritocracy, when, when you look at what Kamaru Usman did as champion, and before then, like it was what, 16, 17 wins in a row? And part of that was yeah. a title vein where he beat guys like Colby Covington, Gilbert Burns, Jorge Masvidal twice. Dominant mm-hmm. reign as champion, loses in this sort of like freak manner. I get why this fight's taking place and I don't have a problem with it. I just thought it was interesting, Ariel's argument. I think it's a really good argument. Um, I know for me, I'm kind of getting soured on it. Uh, I know, I think Valentina deserves a, a rematch. Um, I know on the, on the recap, when I was rewatching it back, I, I literally went, yeah, sure, why not? But uh, in all, in joking aside, I, I think she definitely deserves a rematch as much as I want the division to move forward. Um, sometimes, you know, it's like, what do you say? Meritocracy. Sometimes you just kind of have to run it back, um, which is what it is. So let's talk about this fight itself and uh, the reason why it's been run back here. So Leon Edwards, of course, became Britain's second UFC champion by that last-minute knockout up against Kamara Usman over in Utah. And what I do find interesting about that, though, is that if you look at the... There's been seven completed rounds of fighting between these two. Leon Edwards has only won one of them. And yet here we are in this sort of trilogy fight situation. It's... It's amazing to see, and I think from Leon's perspective, one of the things I've loved about the Leon Edwards win, not only for the drama that came with the knockout, when it comes to British MMA, Leon Edwards was very much an afterthought for a long, long time. When you thought about British fighters who were sort of very prominent in the media, you had people like Bisping, Darren Till, Paddy, Molly, hell, I'd argue MVP, was more popular than Leon Edwards. And that win completely transformed him. That was this sort of overlooked, hardworking guy who never got the praise finally coming to the fore. Oh, yeah. Like, it's crazy to think that he wasn't even the most popular, not even the number two most popular British welterweight. And here we go. Like, it makes that underdog drama feel even crazier, you know? He's that sort of meat and potatoes hard worker. And sometimes I know people like the flashy knockouts and the the first Mm. round finishes, all that sort of stuff. But sometimes you just love a guy who just keeps himself to himself and just claws his way to the top. Oh, yeah. You got to have that Rocky moment. 
you know that his nickname is literally rocky actually yeah. you know like it's it's perfect it writes itself you know i have an affinity my friend described him as rockies that's fair actually yeah you do you know my friend described him as uh for another wwe reference my friend described him as brit uh, as uh, the british daniel bryan in a sense and i went i can kind of see it you know i was like he didn't have the fan you know love pushing him to the top but uh that kind of you know no one really gave him a shot and uh then he pulls it off like in the last seconds you know that perfect picture perfect moment you know look down look up like one shot headshot or whatever he said about pound for pound you know when he head kicked Usman. it's like that's nuts it's crazy We've had some people who sometimes criticize Leon Edwards for being sort of a very, how should I put this, sort of a generic fighter. There's nothing about mm. him which is all that remarkable. What are the sort of intricacies of your game? What is it that has made him such a prominent part of this weight class? He is probably the most active elbower I have ever seen in my entire life in MMA history. Uh, his fight with Cowboy is a lot of clinching up in the middle of the cage over underhooks or uh, like um, they both, each one has an underhook and just active knees up the middle in the clinch. And then if Cowboy wants to break, he's eating an elbow and they yeah. did that for 25 minutes and it was awesome. Actually, it was kind of cool. Um, very active elbower. He's like, they always could, they always kind of credit him as a kickboxer. Um, he, he's more of like, he's a big crowner striker. He will have his hands low, just kind of waiting looking for the opportunity while slowly setting things up um, against Bilal Muhammad. He kind of got done setting up pretty early and started just kind of letting loose before the eye poke. Um, and I thought he was, you know, I mean, I wanted to see the rest of the fight, obviously. That's what sucks about it. Cause you never know, obviously case in point, Leon Edwards, you know, uh, but um, I thought he was really letting loose on Bilal Muhammad and lighten him up, especially with high kicks. But um, he likes to just kind of, Take his time. He's content to win however he wants. Uh, a lot of clinching. So he isn't the flashiest guy ever. But what stands out to me is just how active he is with elbows and knees in the clinch. He doesn't let up for a second if he has a chance of hurting you. It's, yeah, it's elbows in the clinch. But more specifically, it's when the clinch is disengaged. That's when he throws them. Yeah. And I'm not usually on one who finds sort of like trends and tropes in a fight. But mm -hmm. I remember it was Leon versus RDA, I think. And I yeah. was telling my dad, because I was living with my parents back then. My, my dad was over to watch the fight. And I was telling him, just keep your eye. They're in the clinch now. Just keep your eye. When they release, he's going to throw. And he would do it every single time. Mm. And he tore up RDA. And yeah. RDA was like around title contention around that time. And he made it look like, no, not even on the same level. Ridiculous for performance from him. He's he, a, I, Leon Edwards is kind of awesome. Like it's that's a, no one talks about it. Everyone just talks about the head kick, and then that's kind of it. But no, Leon Edwards, his whole career, he's been pretty fun. He's not just a, he's just kind of meat and potatoes, kind of very unflashy, you know, not the most appealing stylistically. And he can be a bit boring, but no, he's he's got some really cool tools in his shed. He is, however, the underdog coming into this fight. Kamara Usman is going to be back in action, and. What can we say about Kamara Usman so far in his welterweight run? Two wins over Colby Covington, two wins over Jorge Masvidal, and we've also got wins over Gilbert Burns, Tyron Woodley, 
probably one of the most dominant title fights of all time against Woodley. Ardier, Maya, Sean Strickland back when he fought at welterweight, Wally mm. Alves, and of course Leon Edwards back in 2015. So that's a good who's who of relevant welterweight fighters around sort of from around sort of like the Reebok era. Um, mm. We've sort of debated about this between ourselves. Um, I think the people were getting too carried away by trying to put Usman at the same level as GSP. And I think there's some bad blood between GSP and Dana White, which is a factor in that. But yeah. you've got to put him around. Is he better than Matthews? I don't know if I'm ready to say that yet. If he wins this, absolutely. Um, I will I will finally budge on that. Because I know I've, I think in the retro, one of the retro reviews. Uh, you got a I, lot um, of blowback on this. I got a little, I got a little bit of blowback for that one, and that's fine, you know. I mean, I, I, I always view it as, if we have differing opinions, you know, I think that's great. That's what makes this sport so cool is the fact that we can go back and forth and talk about our preferences because there's no such thing as an objective thing, um, you know. There's only a very few, few objective things in uh, in MMA, I think, um, and, uh, <laughs> but. Yeah, I, I have a Hughes over him at two. I have Hughes at two for me. And then I have Usman at three. And then I have Lawler at four. But that one might be a personal pick. But I think GSP is just like, if, if anything, if we base it off of like how much further GSP is than the rest of them, GSP is at one, then there's no one at two, three, four, five, and six. Then it's seven Hughes and eight Usman um, is kind of how I think you can also view it. Um, but if he beats Edwards and gets the belt back, yeah, he's he can be number two. One of the things I'm interested by when it comes to Kamara Usman is there was a lot of people, and I include me and you in this because we both put forward mm-hmm. this theory. We thought that Leon Edwards had a much better chance in the second fight than people gave him credit for. And our theory mm-hmm. was Kamara Usman has a lot of issues with his knees. He's not going to be as open to going for takedowns like he was back in his prime. But yeah. then we get a very wrestling-heavy performance from Usman during that fight. Is this a bit of a red herring from Usman's perspective? Or do you think I, there he are nearly some embarrassed issues? I think there's... So there was like a recent interview, and I don't I don't watch the show, I just see clips of it on Twitter, where Joe Rogan was claiming that Kamar Usman can't even wear shoes on concrete or his knees explode. Like his knees are that bad, and he's just he's just Superman throwing it. Like, if your knees are that bad, where you have to walk on grass or where like you can't wear shoes on concrete anymore because your knees are so beat up, then you have no business being in the fight at all. Like the doctor is going to you're never getting medically cleared to fight again. Like that's such a ridiculous statement. But he could just be exaggerating about how bad it is. Rogan so exaggerates worse. Never. Yeah. Right. I've never heard of him doing that. Um, <laughs> and uh, he had to be exaggerating. There's no way. My, he exaggerated so hard my voice cracked there. But um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, 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 I still go like, how is he wrestling on these knees? But man, he made us look, he almost made us look real dumb in that first, in the second fight. Uh, he wrestled the entire time. And I think he's going to do it again. I think he's going to try and come out here and do it again because it was whenever they were out in the open where, where Leon set him up and set the trap rounds prior. And then it's in the open where he got blasted by the kick. So I think he's going to look to come in here and slow it down, slow it way, way down. down. 
he's gonna IRS. Uh, he's gonna be like IRS against uh, Razor Ramon here. You know, uh, just rest holds, sweating all over the place against the cage, and uh, I think that's what he's got to think. I mean, he did get taken down in the first fight, but I don't think anyone even himself expected that. You know, so I, I think now he's gonna be a little bit more prepared for that, and I. I I, I think he's going to try and come out of wrestle again. Because if, if he doesn't, we, we've seen what can happen. So, I think the result of this fight is going to depend a lot on Usman. Because we have got yeah. a guy who is nearly 36 years old. I think he turns 36 in May. He's coming off the mm-hmm. first kill of his career. For me, this fight is going to go one of two ways. Either Usman is so spooked at getting finished again that he just doesn't engage at all. And Leon's able to build up a bit of a point lead. So he sort of gets something similar to what happened with Tyron Woodley, where he's just too scared to engage. Or we get what you presume is going to happen, where he goes even more grappling heavy to try and take away any threat of being knocked out in the open. And that's the way I'm kind of leaning out. I wouldn't be surprised if we see Usman... I, would, I think we're going to get a fight very similar to the second one. I think Leon could yeah. have a lot of success early on, but Usman's going to go very grappling heavy, uh, sort of like 46-49. I want to put this out there too as well, in the case of Leon Edwards. Leon Edwards probably knows this is coming. I mean, I, there's no way he doesn't see this coming. Like, There's no way in my mind that there's a mystery of what the Usman game plan is going to be. You know, I knocked him out in the feet. That was where I had my success. Where he dominated me was again the clinch and in the end in the wrestling. So he's totally going to want to stand with me in the this fight. No, that there's no way that's the scenario. Leon Edwards knows how Usman's going to approach this fight, and Leon and Leon Edwards has really underrated wrestling. I could see him just that's all he's been doing. The second this fight got announced, he's like, I'm just going to wrestle every day. I can't. There's no way you can match his wrestling expertise, but you can at least look for ways to make it the most uncomfortable experience for Usman ever, like knees to the inner thigh or where he can try and break space to like land elbows, not without breaking the clinch and then breaking the clinch, throwing the elbows. I I, I could see him trying to make it just as uncomfortable as possible while Usman looks to Holly home him or Jake shields him for five rounds. And and I'd argue uh, as well, being at the lower altitude, because the last fight was in Salt Lake, mm-hmm. the lower altitude's going to play to Leon as well. So I think he was more absolutely. vulnerable to cardio issues than Kamaru is. That's a good point, too. You know, And honestly, hometown crowd, that's got to pump you up and get you going. Because like, Leon Edwards was beating himself up for, I think Leon Edwards was doing almost as much damage to him as Usman was mentally and then his corner had the big movie moment of like you got to stop feeling bad for yourself do it you know what to do you got to just throw it like okay you know i think having that hometown behind you you know or not really hometown but the home you know being in your uh, home country that's got to be just a incredible experience we could see some of those middle round mental issues that leon was having just evaporate and this fight could be like the second one but a lot closer which I think the, I think I'm not saying that I'm picking Usman to win, but I'm not saying that this is a foregone conclusion. I I can almost fully expect myself to add a loss to my uh, previous show win loss record by picking Usman. I think Edwards can easily walk out the champ again. 
I'm going to be picking Usman to win this one, 49-46. I think mm. Leon's going to have a lot of success early on, but I think Usman's wrestling is going to be the biggest factor. Mm-hmm. And then I'm interested I to see... I'm thinking the same thing. And then I'm going to be interested to see what happens with the welterweight division after that. Because um, if Kamara Usman wins, um, you, you basically eliminate Gilbert and Jorge. That fight a month later mm. becomes redundant because... Usman's not going to fight either of them. And then it becomes, do the UFC try fast-tracking Sharpcut based off the Jeff Neal win, or do they finally give Bilal Muhammad his uh, title shot? I think they're going to do Bilal Muhammad, or even funnier, I feel bad for Bilal Muhammad, but it could be funny. I, I could see them going, no, you're going to fight Sharpcut now. No no title shot for you. Um, apologies. I live in Tornado Alley, so every at noon on uh, on Saturdays they they test the tornado sirens uh, for the state. Yeah, but yeah, I could definitely see. I I think if Ed, if Edwards wins, I think that's big money. If what if like Mosfidal pulls it out? Imagine that Mosfidal goes zero and three, then gets a win against Gilbert Burns somehow, and he gets a title shot. Uh, there's a potential video, you know, uh, people who have lot been on losing streaks then somehow get a fight with a bad recent records or something. It'd just be chill solid um, all the time. Oh man. You know, well that's, that's, that feels almost like an oxymoron cause he's undefeated, undisputed. Chill you know? and lie. Like, yeah. Chill, chill told me that big nog fed a bus to a carrot and I believe him. And, uh, <laughs> you know, little nog was taking his belt off. They were going to wrangle it and bring it home. But, uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I think, I, I think Shavkat's getting a title shot in the next year or so. I am, I'm still reeling from how insane that fight, that Jeff Neal fight is. I've oh, watched it many times. Fight. Since. Yeah, I think I've watched it three times total, which is incredible. Um, and uh, I can see them doing that. I can see them doing Bilal Mohamed and Shavkat for a title fight. Or I could just see him doing Bilal Muhammad. I think it's those three guys. Because Colby Cummington's MIA. That guy could definitely come back and probably get a title shot if he really wanted to. And he's not. He's nowhere to be found. Because uh, I guess if he fights, uh, he loses like a big argument of his court case against Mosfidal, which is so awkward. It's such a weird statement to say. But um, So that is everything that we have uh, to talk about when it comes to UFC 286. Now I have to admit, Joe, we were a little bit exhausted about doing this one beforehand we just come up 285 and we mm. thought we have to do this two times in three weeks are we really gonna be bothered about it i had a lot of fun covering this it is a little bit shorter than normal because i do have some commitments that i need to get to uh before we mm. leave though we do have a retro review that's coming up in the next couple of weeks and this one is a patreon request so joe set the scene oh. what classic event are you talking about so shout out to I believe it was Tom Keegan on Patreon who requested an event, and uh, it is UFC 140. John Jones making his retro review debut, which is probably the most illustrious accolade in his career. I would probably say he will be taking on Lyoto Machida, and <laughs> as well as that, we also have one of the fastest knockouts in UFC history, one of the greatest submissions mm-hmm. of all time, courtesy of Frank Mia. It's a worthy addition oh, yeah. to the uh, retro review portfolio. Oh yes, it's a a lot better card than I remember it being. I was excited for it for 
the underrated, I think it's supremely underrated legend scrap between uh, the the probably the second pound for pound biggest head in, in MMA history, uh, in Tito Ortiz, uh, like him and Henry Cejudo. I think Cejudo's got him beat uh, pound for pound list wise, but uh, Tito Ortiz versus Little Nog, uh, another one of my favorite guys growing up from like Pride Little Nog. So their fight is awesome. It's one round and just a, a blast. So that was that. I was excited for that fight, and I was excited for the the co-main event. But no, I had fun with like if it wasn't for one fight in particular on that card, that would have been one of the highest rated cards uh, like ever for me on the retro review series. It's a great one. And if you want Joe to cover a classic event of your choosing, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash it's not cage fighting. So that's what I'm going to be working on once this uh, recording has been done. I'll be splicing this all together. Joe, of course, is going to be covering, well, he already has covered because it's already going to be out now, the Piotr Jan versus uh, Murab Dvalishvili fight card. That's going to be mm -hmm. taking place. Um, and so I hope you enjoy that one. And we're going to be back in another three weeks' time. And it's another immediate rematch. UFC 287. It is Pereira versus Adesanya 2. Uh, and of course, Gilbert Burns, Jorge Masvidal. Very interesting fight taking place in Miami. With that being said, though, it is time for us to end the show here. Thank you very much for watching. My name's been Carl Bainbridge. That's been Joe Neal. And we'll hope to see you again at UFC 287. This is the INC. Thank you very much for watching.